Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get right to the romance and find the way to wow this Valentine's with 1-800-Flowers.com. From classic roses and bouquets to decadent chocolate-covered berries, gourmet treats, and more. Surprise your Valentine with 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, get the 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $39.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for $10 more. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Uh, Perry, we've met before. There was a like a, a TV channel type thing years ago, and I was in the studio with you when it was like the seven five Reading game ages ago, and then it ran over. And uh, yeah, we met then. So lovely to have you on the show. This is where Perry goes. I don't remember you, mate. Who are you? Are you? Uh, Zaka, aren't you? <laughs> I, will, I will take I will take a permit Saka. I think he's got I think that's a pretty good shout. He's also had Gareth Keenan from the office in the past, Perry. So I think he'll take this is a win for me. It's, uh, <laughs> it's it's better than being called the Tiger King. I've got to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Good morning and welcome to a new edition of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. I am joined today by a very special guest, fan favourite, Perry Groves. Perry, welcome to the Arsenal Opinion Podcast for the first time. Morning, chaps. How are we doing? Uh, We're very good. We are very good. And let's be honest, because I don't know where you're going to put this in the the final uh, final product, Pete. We had a lot of technical issues there, didn't we? It's been about 20 minutes of hoping that Perry was going to make it go, hoping that we'd be able to get this podcast that we're really excited about out. And it's actually come through. Perry is live (laughs) in the flesh and I couldn't be happier, quite frankly. By the way, I am a complete technophobe. So it's my... You know what I actually changed? Not a boy. I actually changed to fibre optic, like broadband, because I live out in the country. And this is the first time we've had problems, but I've winged it. So we're right. You're so, mate. mate you, you, you're sorted. You, 
basically people will be thinking you're a pro the way you made that work it's like yeah i just laid a bit of fiber optics myself next thing i'm on the internet that was great i loved it perry the garden up. we've gone uh we've gone one nil down after four minutes but the the squad is back on we've regrouped and uh we're going to make sure that this is a winning podcast thank you for joining perry uh johnny great to have you on um as always uh so let's uh let's get let's get into a bit about um who Perry is um, for the listeners, because we've got people from all over the world listening that might not have been supporting Arsenal for uh, for as long as we have. So we're going to do a little bit of a refresher before we get in. Uh, if I make any mistakes, you can tell me after, Perry. But you grew up in Bow, East London. You earned an apprenticeship at Colchester United, breaking into the first team in 1982, making a whopping 142 appearances, scoring 26 goals. You made the move to Arsenal in 1986, uh, interestingly, becoming George Graham's uh, first signing for uh, a magnificent fee of seventy-five thousand uh, pounds. You had some some pretty notable moments uh, setting up uh, the winner for the nineteen eighty-seven League Cup final. You won the league with Arsenal in nineteen eighty-eight, eighty-nine. You won the league again with Arsenal in nineteen ninety to nineteen ninety-one. You finished your career with twenty-one goals and one hundred and fifty-six appearances, becoming a cult legend amongst Arsenal fans. Uh, then you moved to uh, Southampton and Dagenham and Redbridge, which is close to where I grew up. Uh, and you also wrote a very successful book called We All Live in a Perry Groves World. Um, did that sound mostly correct? Uh, that is correct. I was born in Bow. So I was when I signed for Arsenal, they thought they, they was like Jed Clampett from the Be- Beverly Hillbillies coming up from Colchester. And I was actually <laughs> the only true Cockney. I was the only like proper Cockney in there. So um, and in the paper... Uh, he said 75,000. Sorry, I was told 75,000. And then some of the papers it, uh, said it was 50 grand. So I don't know whether that, where that other 25 went. I went um, with the higher no one. I saw, it, won't, I, I saw. It, it weren't with me. I'll tell you that much. I didn't get the other 25. I think that was quite clearly in an era where 25 grand might go missing out of a transfer fee. The thing know. is, allegedly, Johnny, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So, allegedly, we don't, we don't say it for fact. It was not fact. The funny yeah, thing about it is, being like an honour, right, because I'm a goon. Everybody knows I'm a goon. My dad's uncle Vic was captain. Vic Groves was captain in the 50s. So all my family are all massive gooners. And when a manager first goes into a club like George Graham, you expect to have a like a stellar signing. You know, like your first signing, you put your marker down. And then they're going, well, who is it? And I know everybody's thinking, who is that ginger? Uh, I've never heard it from Colts. You're not you having a laugh. Who's a ginger? Who's that? I haven't got a Scooby. I drove into the training ground, right, in an MGB GT, which is worth a fortune now because it's be a classic like car, but it was an old rust bucket then. And the head gasket had gone. It's my first day's training at London Coney. You want to make an impression? So the head gasket's gone. There's smoke billowing everywhere. There's steam coming out the engine. So I pull into London Coney and there was uh, Charlie Nicholas, Graham Ricks, Viv Anderson. So I jump out the car, and obviously I'm nervous because I am like a nobody. They're all internationals. They're like, I said, all right, morning, lads. And Charlie Nicholas went, all right, mate. Yeah, the groundsman sheds over there. They thought I was the new ground staff. They went, go on, yeah, you can go over there. You'll be right. He'll sort you out. I'm going, no, 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 I've just signed, chaps. So, okay, fine. Champagne we, Charlie Nicholas as well. Yes. He's used to the high life, you know, and he's seeing broken down motors. He's not used to that. I, lo- I love that story. Uh, but on the same note, it it – is it kind of exemplifies the point that you were, as you said, not only an Arsenal fan, but you were someone who 
I think the fans would have seen as being someone who more represents them on the field rather than being someone who was somewhat disconnected. Uh, you know, basically too much of a fancy Dan, too much of a superstar. Would you would you agree with that? Well, I think what you're trying to say, right, in a in a nice kind way, in a roundabout way, when <laughs> when you when obviously we played at like Highbury, like which I call it, it was the, the temple, right, our ancestral home. Yeah. When fans were going to watch uh, players play, if they saw, say, uh, just before my say Liam Brady, or then latterly if you see uh, Paul Merson or Dennis Burkamp or Thierry Henry Perez, they'll do things in games which will take your breath away and go, oh, my God, I, I have no chance. I don't know how he's done it. There's no way in the world I could do it if I was playing football. When I played for Arsenal, they looked at me and I think they thought, right, if I played for Arsenal, that's how I'd have to be. I'd have to run around, be a nuisance, smash into people, you know, just because I was quick. My thing was pace, pace and like heart and desire. And I think the connect then was, yeah, it, it gives everything. I think that's that's what it was. That's that's how it was. But on, a, on another way, like Ray Parler, you know, when he was in that fantastic team, although obviously very was very became very technical while under Arsene Wenger. But it's that sort of thing. I think you know, fan, and you become a better player when you've retired because. They don't show all your misses on the YouTube bits. They show your goals and they think, oh, yeah, perhaps he was better than we thought he was. So the clips are great. <laughs> it's it, it, interesting that you, the, the way that you frame that up, like uh, there's been a lot of talk about the summer signings. And one of the big things that Arteta says every time before he talks about any of the people that he brought into the club is he, he, he highlights character. And you had character by the bucket load and fans don't forget that. And, Mate, uh, you know, it's... It's relevant Pedro, now, right? You're, you're right, 100%. I'll tell you what, I can remember my first... It, there's a correlation, which we'll talk about later, between George Graham coming into the club, where we were still a massive... We've always been a massive club, but underachieving. You know, very, very good players there, technically gifted, but maybe didn't have that that real sort of desire that, you know, George was looking for. And I sat down in his office, and I was going to say negotiation, but it's no negotiation. How can I negotiate coming from Colchester to, like, one of the biggest clubs in the world? I was like, yeah, whatever. He saw he your sat, car, Perry. He said, well, not right. He felt sorry for me. <laughs> Actually, when I, with my son on field, I went and bought myself a brown 1.3 Escort. I don't mess about. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Ladies. Lovely. Right, I'm looking funny, <laughs> sharp. You know what I mean? So, so I sat down in his office in the famous marble hall. We go upstairs to his office, big oak door, and he sits in a big... Do you remember um, The Wizard of Oz? Where when, I think Dory first said, he's in this massive like chair. So George Graham sits in this massive chair, and he puts him on like a little milking stool. So you're looking up with him. And I had my financial advisor with me. Not he wasn't an agent, he was a financial advisor. Brilliant John Hayes. And um, so he talks about career where he first saw me. And he was managing me a wall, so he's aware of me when I was playing for Coach United in the old fourth division, which is now League Two. So I've made my reputation as a winger. I started off as a centre midfield player, but went out doing. But he said to me, and I remember this today, he said, um, he said, Yeah, Perry said, I followed your career with great interest. He said, I first come across you playing for Coach United youth team. And the gaffer was manager of QPR's youth team. And in the old days, they had one of those first plastic bases. It was a bit of concrete with a bit of carpet on top. The old plastic pitches where the ball used to bounce over the stand. So we played there, Coach Knight youth team. QPR youth team had six England youth internationals um, and were the best, one of the best youth in the country. Coach United, hit boys from the country. We had uh, three full-time apprentices. Basically, it means you swept the stands and did the... And all the others were lads who were still at school, right? And we went about three or four nil down in the first like half hour on this plastic pitch. 
most of my teammates couldn't handle the pitch and hurt the ball. We're 7-0 down after an hour. And he said, you stood out in that game. And I went, oh, I must have played quite well. He went, no, no, no. He said, you didn't shut up moaning. He said, you didn't shut up moaning at your teammates, at your uh, staff, at the referee. He said, your knees were all bloody because you kept doing sliding tackles because on the pitch, there's like bits of your skin everywhere. He said, you didn't stop trying and you didn't shut up. And he said, I said to Roy Massey, who's our coach, said, who's that? And he said, oh, that's a a lad, Perry Groves. We think he's been our first team pretty soon. And he went, oh, right. And he said he followed my career through the ups and downs, getting culture's first team, getting dropped, getting back in. And he said, there's one thing, and I've watched you as well, away at Stockport and away at Hartlepool. And that's it. He said, there's one thing that I cannot put into a player is desire. He said, I cannot put desire. He said, I can make you better technically. He said, I can make you better tactically. But what I'm going to do to this football club, he said, I'm going to change the culture and I'm going for players with heart and desire. Now, if you think, like I was the first signing, and everyone thought, who the bloody hell's that? Then after me came Lee Dixon, Steve Bold, Alan Smith, uh, Nigel Winterburn, Kevin Richardson, all from the lower levels, from lower leagues. And they all had one thing in common, which was desire. And I think the correlation which I can see, which Arteta's trying to do with our younger players, is very, very similar. It's, it's, a, it's a very similar sort of situation that we're in. What a start to this podcast. Oh. I am that was a great Damn. analogy. I really like that, Perry Rose. <laughs> that's a really good start. Now, you know, we we're going to kind of bounce around from your era and the the modern era because so so many of the um themes cross over. Um and sorry, by the way, for the tinny echo, I've got this laptop sitting on a bin in my holiday in room right now. So I can't do anything about it. I apologize. I'm that kind of dude. Um, so, Perry, when you say about um, the, the desire, which I thought was br- a brilliantly uh, worded um, uh, kind of uh, memory, when you look at the current Arsenal um, team, and in particular the new signings that have come in, who are the characters that you think embody that desire that you just talked about the most? And if you were to do a pie chart, if you were, out of what would make a successful team as you see it, how much of that pie chart needs to be either players with desire or inbuilt in each player's individual pie chart, if you like, how much would desire need to be, um, you know, part of their makeup? Yeah, yeah, it has to be. It has to be individually. You have to have that, uh, that burning desire. You have to have that passion. You have to have that ambition. You have to have the character. And that's why, and what happens as well is, when George Graham, and he was, a, he was a disciplinarian, and Arteta is a disciplinarian as well. And again, there's a bit of a correlation sort of there. When you buy younger players, they buy into your ideas because you're just, you just want to learn. You know, sometimes with senior players are established, um, whose attitude might be left, a little bit left to be desired or on sort of big money and they've seen it all. And you might not be able to get a reaction out of them. You might be asking them to do things that they don't want to do or they haven't been used to do it. Whereas if Arteta again is out to get rid of what I call some deadwood and get them out, George Graham did exactly the same thing. Then you get the players in uh, and you have to have as well what people got to realise, Johnny, is the expectation at Arsenal Football Club are huge. The pressure is massive. You have to be able to handle that pressure and that expectation of the history of the club before, the expectations, you know, and it's, it's, it's actually increased from George Graham winning, you know, uh, league titles, winning 
uh, FA Cups, League Cups, Cup Winners Cup, then to Arsene Wenger, you know, with the Invincibles. So you're judged, an Arsenal player is judged on a different level to anybody else. So you have to have that mental strength as well. You have to have that mental strength. And I'll tell you what, I must admit, I think the one person in the last probably half a dozen games who I look at and think you're mentally strong and you actually believe that you belong in this arena is Aaron Ramsdale. Uh, I've, I've just watched him and everybody doubted him. Everybody was saying, well, he's been relegated twice. You know, I've seen him playing games. But if you go into his background, when he um, was at Sheffield United, he was player of the year. When he was at Bournemouth, he was player of the year. Some by the fans, some by the players. And he came and he was under scrutiny. He was under a lot of pressure and he's actually embraced it. He's actually embraced it and gone, no, and I like how vocal he is. I like his, uh, his body language. Um, in the last away game, remember when he was taking the goal kick and they, they give it the, York, whatever. And he turns around and he goes, yeah. And he gives it one of them. Come on then. He's like, bring it on. This is me. This is my character. That then transmits itself. You can tell that the back four, which are looking a lot better, a lot better shape, you know, a lot more organized. Their confidence goes up because they've got someone behind him, behind them, who is exuding that. And it, it comes down to character. And again, just examples. There's play, people have come to Arsenal. There was a goalkeeper. We had a goalkeeper called Richard Wright. Brilliant goalkeeper, right? Played for Ipswich. Excellent, came with big reputation, come to Arsenal. The difference is when he, Richard Wright was playing at Ipswich, if he was pulling off, like I called him an octopus, pulling off saves everywhere and Ipswich were one new up and he's kept him from going three or four one down. But then in the last 10 minutes, he got ball goes through his hands. Ipswich would be in the local papers. Richard Wright earns us a point. He saves us from beating six or seven, getting beat six, seven, one. You come to Arsenal and you do it. No one remembers your flying saves. They remember the state. It'd be Richard Wright has cost us two points. He's cost us the win. And you have to be able to handle that. And there's some players that can't. So it's, um, you're, you're judged on a different level and, and the, you know, the big clubs. And we've, I look at our team now. So I mentioned Aaron Ramsdale, Ben White. I thought we should have bought him, uh, probably 18, was it 18 months, two seasons ago when we played against Leeds in the FA Cup. And he was outstanding and they should have beaten us. And he, he looked the part then. You think it, it'll suit us. So, uh, Lukonga as well is going to be, a, a, he's learned his trade, but he's going to be a, a, a really good player. Tavares it looks excellent at left back. He will make Kieran Tini's level go up because all of a sudden there's someone pushing you thinking, oh, right, my level. So at the moment, it's all very, very healthy. When I'm watching, I know we're 10 unbeaten, you see you say that, but when the jury's out on Arteta, I was always one of them going, I can see what he's trying to do. You know, sometimes he got, a few team selections wrong. Sometimes I think he overthought it, you know, tried to beat Guardiola. But now he's got the 4 2 3 one or the 4 4 one once you look at it. Um, and I've gone on a bit, Johnny, sorry, but the what, the other person that I think he I has made, it. he has made a massive difference. And I've been a big fan of his, and he's been in and out a lot, is Lacazette. I've always, we've, we've worked together, Johnny, when, yeah. um, and I thought, I think Lacazette, Playing up front brings the best out of Aubameyang when he goes to the left-hand side because Lacazette holds it up. He brings people in. Putting him just a little bit deeper, I didn't see. Now, looking at him a little bit deeper, Smithrow and Saka have benefited because they have someone who's, one, experienced, two, is physical, 
who will put himself about, who will put himself into challenges, who will go on the press after Aubameyang sets it, will engage their players. So all of a sudden, then Smith, Rowe and Saka thinking, oh, that's Andy. We've got like a, a semi-minder in there. And I think Arteta putting him in that position, I think, I must admit, was I didn't see it. You know, he's a bit of a stroke of genius, you think. Yeah, that, that's that's good. So it's it's the, the the balance of the team's looking really good. It, it's it's brilliant. I, I've just loved hearing you uh, break it all down there, Perry. And I mean, so there was a name that first of all, I have to be honest. Um, when you talk about these vicious, horrible Arsenal fans who questioned the signing of Aaron Ramsdale and that he uh, was relegated twice, I've you're, you're yourself man. being one of them. Come <laughs> <laughs> on, Johnny. Like, Johnny, just hold your hands up. I hold my hands up now. I'm a big Ramsdalian these days. Uh, he won't catch me <laughs> coming against him. He, I, I just love the guy. He embodies everything about this new found optimism that we have. He, he is a character. Everything, I thought, I thought you spoke so well about it uh, in terms of the character that he's helped imbue in this team with, with his own injection of his passion and his accountability. But a name that I thought was a little conspicuous by his absence, just because I, I, I just don't know why, but I thought you might want to go down that route and maybe focus on him a bit more, is Tommy Asu or Thomas Asu, however he yeah. uh, wants to be called. Is like For me, Tommy Asu is, I think he has been an absolute breath of fresh air. And that, I was talking the other day at the game with my mate, um, and we were, we were saying about the thing, the situation, one with Ramsdale and also with Tommy Asu, and that was that I also came out and stated previously that I didn't think that Leno was the biggest issue we had at Arsenal. I thought there were a lot of issues, not least with the way that we were set up and uh, the way that the manager was approaching it, but I thought overall, Leno is a good goalkeeper and Ramsdale's not going to be able to move the bar very much, and and therefore I kind of dismissed it as being a signing that was going to move us forward. However, I was completely wrong and Ramsdale's completely uh, improved us, not only with his passion, but he's pulling off saves that I don't even think Leno could do. But overall, his distribution on the ball is, has been second to none. You know what it is, and- Johnny? That's right. His distribution. When Leno was playing at the back, right, he had a bit of hesitancy, even from goal kicks. Every Arsenal fan's going, do it quicker. Come on, do it quicker. There was a little bit of, you know, when the centre-halves are splitting, take his time when the ball's rolling back. All Arsenal fans went, whoa, where's, what, what's happening here? The team feel the same. Now, when it goes back to Ramsdale and he's pinging balls 40, 50 yards into Lacazette or into Bamiang or, uh, you know, on the angle and he's pinging them sort of knee height and he's going, yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> what are you worried about? Everybody settles down. Every The, the team settles down. So I don't think that people was going to see that side of his game was going to make so much a difference. In I everybody around him. I didn't know he had that in his game. You're completely right. Moonrakers, different. He's been a different gravy, and uh, and it has changed our ability to spring attacks because he gets into our uh, attacking players so much quicker. There is no, you know, ambling on the ball like Leno did. But just to c- come back, uh, double back on that Tommy Asu issue. I think that one of the areas where I think that a lot of Arsenal fans did know that we could improve in recent times was at right back because God love Hector Bellerin, and you know. He, he he also was a bit of a cult here and, you know, he came through um, uh, somewhat the academy after um, joining from Barcelona and, and we felt connected to him. But quite clearly, through Tommy Asu's involvement and inclusion in the team and his immediate impact, you realise how stale 
things had got with Hector in recent seasons. And quite frankly, he just wasn't able to put in those top performances anymore. And I think that Tommy Asu, whilst being quite almost unspectacular in his approach to football in some ways, is very spectacular in terms of his output for us because his intensity doesn't drop below a 10. He is very consistent with his defending, uh, very rarely caught out of position. And I actually think he's better from an attacking point of view than what some of us might have thought. A couple of nice balls, even at the weekend, uh, were whizzing across. I just wanted to uh, get your thoughts on Tommy Asser and the impact you think he's made. Johnny, do you know what? He's got a very good PR machine as well because it's been leaked, isn't it, that uh, in transfer like deadline day, that the mob up the road were coming in for him. And he's like, no, you're right. I'm, I'm quite happy where I am. I'll stay here. Then he went, also come in. Yeah, okay, great. Where's the plane? We're off. So it was very, very good, very clever. But he probably even means it. Um, I was there for that. I'm pretty sure his debut was against Norwich, wasn't it? At home, I think. Um, yeah, I think so. Or one of his first games. Yeah, he was straight in, and, um, wasn't he? Off the plane. Straight, yeah, off day. the plane. And Arteta said, I look at him in training. And he went, nice, he's come in. And what the thing that is becomes um, infectious and contagious is enthusiasm. The enthusiasm, and he was uh, up, and people thought, oh, we will last 65, 70 minutes. <laughs> he was up, down, he was overlapping, he was getting, to, and it was recovery. He was getting back. And you can actually see that he actually enjoys, it is a shock, he actually enjoys playing football. He actually, you can tell, you know, and that ebullience rubs off on people. He's very good um, technically. He's only going to improve um, with better players around him, you know, from what he's been used to playing with. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think he's a, a very, very good addition. Very good addition. I also, you know, if there was a, a moment where we can kind of drill down and, and accentuate that, if you think about Hector Bellerin, I'm not questioning the guy. I really, I do like Hector Bellerin. But you know what happened? Quite... After his injury, right, he was never the same after his, his knee injury. He was never, because yeah. Hector was very, very quick. Very, yeah. very quick. Up and back. He didn't have that explosiveness. And I think... Someone who got injured, I was very quick, and someone who suffered from a uh, major injury, like he finished my career, I snapped my Achilles. You never really get that full confidence back. You know, if you rely on your electric, like electric pace, which he did, and he always looked like he was, to me, 80% of yeah. Hector Bellerin at his pomp. And that, that was it. You know, it's just unfortunate. And you think, okay, Hector, yeah, you're, we thought you was going to improve. And he was going to go on an upward trajectory, and he didn't. He sort of leveled off, and he actually his performance level just dropped off. So that's that's what happened, with Vector. Pete, did you want to jump in? Yeah, on yeah. This? I, I I did want to. I was I was very interested in the uh, in the comment about George Graham hiring in signing players that had a certain character level. Mm-hmm. Um, Matteo Guendouzi uh, was shipped out after having major bust ups with his teammates, with the management team, with staff. Uh, at the ground, he went on loan to Hertz Berlin. Uh, was called an animal and uh, like very juvenile by the management team there. And now he's having a good time at Marseille. And a lot of a lot of Arsenal fans say that you need that sort of attitude at the club because if there's a fault of Matteo, it's that he wants to win too hard. Um, I just wanted to get the professional take on having someone like that around. Uh, you know, a club that's trying to build a new culture and whether there's an insider line on why you ship players like that out. Uh, it's quite simple, to be fair. It's a risk to reward. If you, uh, if a player is 
unbelievably world class and he might have a character flaw and he might cause you problems. But on the pitch, a typical example is Cantona with Alex Ferguson and Manchester United. He indulged, Alex, Alex Ferguson indulged Eric Cantona because of what he brought to the team on the pitch on a regular basis. Guendouzi was never, ever on that level. And you actually look and you think, well, you're right. I'll give you one, you know, he had the, the, the bust up at Brighton, didn't he, with Mope, when he's, you know, giving it like how much you want and whatever, that sort of stuff. At the time, he was 20, 19, 20. And it's like, mate, calm. I've, I was very critical after that. I said, calm yourself down. Calm yourself down. You ain't, you ain't that good. You shouldn't be going around saying that. You have banter on pitches, on pitch, right? That's not a problem. But you haven't done anything in your career to be going around giving it big time Charlie stuff. And then... Obviously, senior pros had a little word and said, calm yourself down. And apparently they went away to Dubai and he went there early and he still met up late, you know, when all the other players there for, for training and whatever. So I, I think Arteta gave him a clean slate, but he still wouldn't listen. He still, he still wouldn't. And in the end, you think, Arteta thinks, I can't spend that much time on you. I can't spend much, much, that much time indulging on you because, all right, you might be half decent, you might improve. But my time investing in you individually doesn't warrant you're not that good. You're, you're not on the top level. So, and everybody says that managers treat players equally. They don't. They, there's different levels depending on how good you are. But put example, George Graham was an unbelievably strict disciplinarian. Unbelievably right. If you, he was, he had, you know, he was the dictator basically. And if you crossed him and you didn't work, Paul Davis did an article in the paper about George Graham about the way we're playing. We didn't see Davo for six months. He was training in the far field with the cows and the sheep. We thought he'd left. And you think, right, if he can do that to Paul Davis, we better be like, button our lips. Um, Paul Merce is my best mate. Merce, like every small document, Merce was always getting in like a little bit of trouble. And every time he got in trouble, I was with him. Every time I got in trouble, he was with me. There was a bit of a, you know, correlation there. But Merce was getting in more scrapes than me, right? And he would be pulled into George Graham's office. He'd be told, you find two weeks away, you do that again, I'll kick you out of the club. You've got to get yourself sorted out. If that was me, and I was behaving the same way, being, Merce was an excellent player, right? One of the top players. I was a good player. Good players don't get away with that behaviour. Top players right. do. Because you, you indulge them. And they used to say, I'd say, I used to find up Merce, the old days of landlines. i go, had it go, go. He went, yeah, uh, two weeks wages. He said, is he mad? Two weeks wages and two weeks, uh, and suspended for a week. What am I going to do a week? I'm going to go have a drink, go and have a bet. It's ridiculous. You no, know, like he's given me, he said, Mercer is a week off. And he said, he's told me if I do that again, I'll be kicked out of this club. All right. He said, you, wow. Graham, you do that again, sunshine. I'll kick you out. After about the third time, I said, did you get that? You do that again. I'll kick you out. He went, yeah. <laughs> he was, he won't, he had to be disciplined on him, but he was never going to kick him out because he was, he was worth too much to the team. So that, that's the issue with Gwendouzi. It's calm yourself down, sunshine. You're, you're not as good as what you think you are. You're learning your trade. And, and senior players will indulge uh, younger players making mistakes and, you know, going off the rails. If the younger players don't listen, even the senior players go, nah, he's not worth my effort. It's, it's not sinking in. Champagne that's... attitude, Lambrini talent. Eh? There you go. It's, that, it's what it is. That's a proper answer. Yeah, I love that. So, so um, just to kind of go for everyone that then. So, 
you, you know, we've talked about George Graham, and it's interesting the parallels that um, are getting drawn here with uh, George Graham and Arteta and the somewhat disciplinarian approach that they both take. But how do you think, uh, because this is one of the biggest issues I think a lot of Arsenal fans have with Arteta broadly, and that is that this is his first job. He's never had a job as a manager before. And one way or another, he has come into the club and tried to get his ideas across and his rules across. And how do players respond to a manager who has never been in that position before? Because at the end of the day, George Graham, it wasn't his first job. He was a successful manager. He'd got the respect of players based on, you know, work that he'd already done. Arteta had previously been an assistant manager. How do you think that would have impacted his ability to rule with an iron fist the way in which he's tried to? I think what you said there, George Graham had been youth team coach, like I mentioned, UPR. Then he'd gone to Millwall. He'd done well at Millwall. Again, strict, big characters at Millwall. Um, strict disciplinarian. i come to uh, Arsenal. And he had the kudos a little bit of, obviously, being part of the double-winning team in 70-71. And the, the dichotomy with George Graham, which made the gaffer, right, is he was known as the stroller. When he played for a, in the 70s, you know, with, with Arsenal, he was the one who was the elegant, you know, sort of ball player, used to stroke the ball around. He wasn't that uh, sort of closing people down, you know, like 100-mile-an-hour effort and doggy, whatever. So his, his way he wanted his players was totally different to the way that he played. But what he did, because he'd had management skills before, he knew straight away who he wanted out, without a shadow of a doubt, right? He knew. It gives everybody a clean shake when he comes in. You, you're dealing with Kenny Sanson, Viv Anderson, Charlie Nicholas, Graham Rick, Steve Williams. Big characters. Big, big characters. And he thought, right, I'll give you a clean shake. All excellent players. But after three or four months, he realised who he needed shipping out and who was going to bring in to replace him. But also he realised, I need to use you for a period of time. I can't let you know and make it obvious that the players would sort of half know, but I'm not going to fall out of anybody and stamp my authority like that. I might not play you because you're not buying into what... But he never felt his man management. He, he, if you look at he eased him out over a period of time. And I think with Arteta coming in, as you said, he's learning his trade. And he's learning in trade under a massive, massive microscope. We said on a, you know, on a, a huge scale at Arsenal. And he would have come across situations that he'd never been the number two to Pep Guardiola, right? I think I might have been able to do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Go right. Well, I know Arteta took games, but he's learning and he's a sponge all that. Being a number two, it's like being head of house or deputy head. You know, the responsibility of a headmaster of a school who sets the philosophy and the buck stops at him is far different. As a head, head, a deputy headmaster or deputy headmistress, you can be everybody's mate. Everybody can like you. When you're headmaster, no one likes you because <laughs> you're the one who hands out all the discipline, right? So when he came, when Arteta came into Arsenal, he was learning, learning. And I said at the time, maybe he needed somebody uh, a little bit older who'd been seen situations before and get all oh, no, what you've got to do here is you might think he's a complete and uh, whatever, but you're going to need him to the end of the season. Do you know what I mean? So he's learning. I think you're seeing, uh, I think he'll make decisions now and handle things differently situations than what he did when he first came in, because he'd have seen those situations now. I, I just give you one quick example where, I think he could have handled it differently. Uh, when we played that mob up the road and Aubameyang was late and he dropped yeah. him. And 
we won the game at obviously won it two one. So right, but you put and it was like I don't know. I don't know whether Bamiang was late constantly or it was the first time he was late or his timekeeping's bad. But he's still the captain, and he's still your main man, and he has a massive influence on the dressing room. So Arteta bravely, by the way, is a big decision because everybody's going. Whoa! It's easy to drop a younger player or someone who's not as important, but leaving your captain out to say, right, I'm to make an example. Basically, if I leave him out, I can leave anybody out. Now, I think the way that I've seen manage handle it is you dig the ca- him out in front of everybody and say, you're disrespect you what you think you're doing. You're letting your teammate blah, blah, blah. You'll find two weeks wages. You're, you're like, you're captive asking and you give him rocking and you still play him. And then you pull him in and then you go, you can't be doing that. You owe me. If that was anybody else, I'd have dropped him. And it, I don't think there's any coincidence that Aubameyang's sort of form after that incident. I mean, we weren't particularly great, the team, don't get me wrong, but he didn't, his body language, I, I don't think, looked good. Yeah. And now they've, they've, the relationship between them two is very, very healthy. Now, you see Aubameyang now, he closes down, he tracks back, he's bought into us. Now, he might, in the long term, he might have respected Arteta more for doing that. But I think you, you could handle it in a, like, a different way. But Arteta's never been in that situation before. And now that, that relationship, to me, seems to be very healthy and it seems to be, have, have been repaired, you know, on that trust side. So it's just little... Little things, but I, I can get Arteta. I said I, I still get him. I could still get him when we weren't playing very well. Apart from at Brentford, when we kept trying to play out for back, we should have booted it to stop the press and so on, so on. So, but I get it. I get he teams mirror managers, and he's a very intense uh, football person. I don't know what he's like personally, and he wants his team to play high octane, intense, and his prerequisite is you don't run about. You don't give 100%. You don't try and implement what I want you to do. You ain't going to play. And I'm, that's, you know, I'll take my cap off to that. I'm, I'm all for that. So, uh, I, I love that. People are, people are excited about what you're saying on the pod. We've got NGX saying, why on earth is Perry not on Sky BBC? Uh, far better than any other pundit. So the, the fans old. are enjoying this. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I, I wanted to I, w- I want to shift onto a onto a different topic. You mentioned earlier that uh, younger players want to learn; they pay more attention, and you know they'll go with your ideas. Emil Smith Rowe was in an interview last year, and he mentioned that Arteta says stuff, and it comes true on the pitch. I don't think there are many young players that would go to war for Arteta quite like uh, the Smith. Um, what do you make of his England call up and just the overall contribution he's made? since December 26th um, last year. You know, the thing with um, Emil Smith-Rowe is when you watch him play, he reminds me a bit of a, um, a street footballer. Like I, there was no, I know he's come from the academy, you know, which is great. But I look at him and players of my generation, you played in the road, you played in the street, you, you played like on a bit of concrete. Do you know what I mean? You played up against the garages. And he reminds me a little bit of that. Like, even though he's, you know, he's probably about, what, five... Five nine, I'd say five eight, five nine. He can handle the physical side of it for for a younger player. He, there's a humbleness about him that I like. There's a joy about him that I like, and he's not afraid to to take people on. He's not afraid to uh, go one v one with players. There's so many players that you see these days that get in wide positions or they get around the box, and their first thought is to cut inside or pass it square or pass it. 
he's not afraid to like dribble the ball and take the ball and, and take people on. And the one thing I said that he needs to add to his game, which I think he's got, obviously he's got his five goals, I think, and, and two assists this season, in you know, in all games, is his end product and his final decision-making is getting better, which was going to be because he's obviously a young player. And I think when he's getting in those positions, he calms himself down a little bit now, whereas before he was a little bit erratic. And it, it won't, I love the the, the desire. Obviously, uh, Saka's the same. Martellano's been injured. There's a, if you have talent, plus desire, plus a humbleness, you've got every chance. You've got to have all those three to be top of the tree, to play for a massive club like Arsenal or, you know, the other big clubs. If one of those three is missing, it does, talent enough isn't, talent on its own isn't enough. It's, it's nowhere near. You have to have the other components. And again, my dad used to say to me, you can have all the talent in the, in the world and a little bit of desire. Whatever you do in your life, you ain't got no chance. You can have a little bit of talent and a huge desire. You've got every chance of being whatever you want to be in whatever, not just football, whatever, you know, whatever trade you decide to do. So, um, and he will, no, no matter how get it, good Emil Smith Rowe gets, because there's a, there's, there's still a big, um, percentage for him to improve, right? Because the, the ability he's got, he should be a, He's never going to be a 20-goal season, uh, but he should be a, a 10 to 15-goal season with 10 to 15 assists, in, in which he will do, right? But he won't get big time. He, he won't. So young, young players do get the attitude and they do get a little bit of sort of I've made it and you see them fall by the wayside. So there's there's no doubt in my mind about Emil Smith-Rowe that he's going to be a a top, top player. And I'm talking about, you know, the top, so he's, he's edging to get there at the moment yeah. uh, for, for years to come because because he has the humbleness and he has the work ethic. Yeah. And that was... uh, sorry, so I didn't mean to cut you off. So, so for, uh, first of all, as well, um, just on the little point, you said, he, you know, he's actually six foot. And this is something that goes, gets, under, yeah. he's bigger than what he seems, you know. He, he's maybe the same. Yeah, maybe it's his uh, running style, maybe. Yeah. Because he's a little bit sort of, like hunched over in he as he as he runs, yeah. So and, and I only bring that up. It's just because I think also that feeds into it is because he's young. We assume he's small and diminutive, and the reality is he's a, he's actually bigger and more robust than what he might appear. Yeah, and similar to Saka, who when he first burst into the scene, I thought he was like a little schoolboy. Saka's not getting knocked around by people, you know. And I think both of them have bulked up over the summer. Obviously, Saka was playing a lot of football with England, but they they filled their frames out a little bit more and they look like they're, you know, physically ready for the challenges that the Premier League is going to bring. That, and Smith Rowe is, you know, it, it, it's starting to show with his performances on the pitch. He is... John, that's a mental thing as well, though. That cut, You can be slight of frame, you can, but you can still be robust and strong. And that comes in, in your, your psyche. That comes in a... You ain't going to knock me around. You ain't going to be trying to bully me. And that comes, you make yourself more resilient. You know, you're right. Because when you're younger, I, I, some players, I equate them to like uh, baby giraffes. You know, when they're huge, but you've got to grow in, you've got to grow into your body. You've got to grow into your frame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you, but then once you've done that, you still have that mental fortitude to go, you, you've got to have that little bit. And don't be fooled as well by their, I said their humbleness, right? And they love playing football. And obviously, Saka, we, we see that beaming smile of him, right? 
if you watch him in little games sometimes when he just looks like he's going to lose his temper, his facial expression changes, there's a little bit of nastiness and aggression in there. Do you know what I mean? They're not just these nice like boys who love playing football. And I just got to say one thing. I love the fact that we didn't give the ball back to Watford. I absolutely... Oh, I let's was talk like, about that. Let's get up. I was going to go on. That was my next point right. anyway. Yeah. I was, Sportsmanship drama. Let's talk about it. No, it, it, this, like, there's a, a different um, culture at the moment where referees, and I, I do a lot of um, uh, games for TalkSport on the co-commentary, so I'm watching a lot of live games. And I did a lot of championship last year and because we're doing three o'clock championship. And in the championship, that's what I call proper men's football where no one dives around. There's full-blooded challenge going in. And the referees, when you, you know when you see referees say, get up. And I love the referees going to players, get up, you're not hurt, get up. There's been a directive, I'm 100% in the Premier League this year from the referees, and they're looking at players thinking, you're not injured. And they just ignore you know, In the old days, they'd blow the whistle and go, well, stop the game, he's on the floor. If you look now, there's a directive. I've seen loads of Premier League referees go, get up. So when Danny Rose kicked the ball out, I think it was, Two, was it Toucan or who was injured for uh, Watford? And pretended like he was lying on the floor, right? Yeah, yeah. Or Turan. And so he gets knocked over. Danny Rose looks at him. He knocks the ball out of play. Now, Danny Rose is kicking the ball out for his own player. If he's kicking the ball out because an Arsenal player is injured, 100%, you should give the ball back. But he's kicking the ball out for the sake of his own team. And then because the referee didn't blow and say stop, he got up. And he's like, no, you play, you, you play on. You, you've got to have that little bit of, that little bit of edge, that little hey, bit of nastiness. Why, why do you, why is the debate in, you know, you work in the media, you work with um, talk sport. Why is the debate in the media not, if you have an unsportsmanlike strategy of rotational fouling, if you are the worst at it in the Premier League, I mean, they, I think they've made the second most fouls in the Premier League. Why isn't the debate, you know, why should you get sportsmanship back if that's what you're doing all game? Like, what, you know, what, why, are the, why do the media seem to jump on Arsenal for this sort of thing far more than any other club? You don't, you don't yeah. hear this after Chelsea do things. Yeah, but the, the thing is, it's professional sport. It's professional sport. You're, if you're playing, if you want to like go and play for the um, uh, the Casuals, you know, like who've, who've got that. Oh, if you get a penalty, then the goalkeeper's not allowed. You're, they don't let their goalkeeper try and save it, and they've got a different ethos, which is fantastic. It's professional sport, and I'm not talking about cheating because I'm I hate dive. I, I still think for diving there should be a panel. It could be even you know retrospective where you get banned for three or five games, and then that will eradicate diving within three, four months because managers will tell their players don't be going down cheaply because I can't afford to lose you for three or five games. And it makes the referee's job easier then because if a player goes down, the referee think, well, he can't be diving because he's going to get banned for five games if he does. So you, you've got to push the boundaries. You've got to try and do anything you can to win a game of football within the rules. And now I did talk to what last night and with Jason Cundy and he said, oh, I said, don't, don't play more. Why should Arsenal all of a sudden be the be the moral compass for mm-hmm. football? There's far worse things that happen in football on football pitches that you know that goes on, which is worse than that. And I, I say that that moral giving the ball back. I, I say if it was an Arsenal player was down, I get it. Danny Rose kicks out because his own players down. 
Can I, I, I just wanted to jump on this because this is the point I was going to get onto as well. And, and there's been a lot of talk about it. Jamie Redknapp again has shown, you know, his true colours. Uh, it's, it's just anti-Arsenal for me. He, he consistently comes out, even when there are glaring pieces of evidence to suggest that he's wrong, he will still come out and bash Arsenal. And, and that is the way it is. But I wanted to draw... Um, I was at the game, uh, the Watford game, as um, many of our listeners will know, and I was directly next to, in the stands, next to where Danny Rose kicks the ball out. Now, what is not being discussed in this scenario is the player goes down, the referee doesn't give it, even if you think it's a foul, it's irrelevant, the referee hasn't given it. But what you have to look at the context of a situation. What the context it has not been explained by people like Jamie Redknapp is that Danny Rose was getting skinned repeatedly by Saka. It happened three or four times on the bounce. He was getting run ragged and what he needed was a breather. And we all know when we talk about gamesmanship, when these guys kick balls out and or when players go down and try and get the game stopped or whatever, it's part of the game. They are trying to buy themselves some team. You can regain momentum or, or stop the opposition. Stop momentum. the momentum. You can just exactly. you know, calm it down. You, you stop their momentum, regain composure, get set again. There's no reason why if the referee hasn't blown for that foul, even if you kick it out, you look and go, well, actually, look where he kicked the ball at. He was pinned in. He was being chased down. He didn't want to pump it long and have it come back at him again. So he tried to be to use gamesmanship in their favour by let me kick it out and let's get reset and then we get to start again and take the pressure off. No, if you want to try and use gamesmanship, we ain't playing into your game. If the referee doesn't blow, play on. And let's not pretend like we. If this is the people who drew comparisons with the over Mars Carnu situation, no comparison at all. It's not. It's a completely no. different situation. I was absolutely against that situation, and I was very pleased that Arsene Wenger nominated to replay that game. That was an unfair situation. They had clearly stopped. We took the ball and threw it where they couldn't be set. We threw it, so we had a one on, basically a two on one. Uh, 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 and by the one being the keeper, we were always going to score. It was an abuse of the situation. This was completely different. They yep. were set. Danny Rose was trying to. Re, to take the momentum out of Arsenal in terms of our attack, reset and be able to, you know, regain um, possession for his team. That's different. You've tried to use gamesmanship, didn't work out. And guess what? It works against you. And quite frankly, I hope more teams do this and, and play on, particularly when players are being a bit coy about the way that they go down when they're clearly not injured. Exactly. And, he, and he'd got up anyway. Exactly. He'd got up, right. So he wasn't injured. So he was trying to get the game stopped to stop the momentum. How many times he heard the pundits, I'm not just saying Jamie Redknapp, but the pundits go, uh, you know what, Arsenal, they're a little bit soft, a little bit flaky, a little bit naive, right? So they can jump on that and they've been right in the past because we have been a little bit soft in different situations, you know what I mean, a little bit naive. And all of a sudden when we show a little bit of like nastiness, a little bit of streetwiseness, now it's like, oh, it's outrageous. <laughs> think, well, you can't have it both ways. So... Yeah. Later in the games, when goalkeepers are wasting time, or uh, when uh, a player goes down, if these, that player's team's winning, how many punches go, he's being a bit cute, he's being really... That's game, that's game management. That's game management. That's what you should do in that situation. I don't know why the crowd's uh, whistling, no, because players are time-wasting, or because if your team was in front, you would do exactly the same thing. So I was, I was actually I was, I was pleased to see it. Uh, Danny, he was, Danny Rose was shouting, and I could see it. He was shouting to the guy, "Stay down, stay yeah, down." He's pointing. 
Yeah, he's yeah. going, get down, get down. And I'm I'm like, are you kidding me? You, 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 like, Why are these people complaining? Danny Rose is clearly pointing to his guy going, get back on the floor. That is cheating. If you're telling your player when he's not injured and he's got back up to get down so you can, what, justify the fact you've kicked it out so you can get the ball back. No, you're trying to, you're trying to be cute. It didn't work out. Don't try with all these, you know, recriminations after, like, we're some bad guys. No, you tried to be cute. Didn't work out. Bad like you got beat. Johnny, there's another thing as all well. Right. If you look at the goal, right, they had three chances to clear it. They had a yeah. header. They could have cleared it. They had a, a clearance that went along the floor. So their ineptitude, then what it does, you, you try and deflect. Like Ranieri tries and, you know, to pull Arteta off. And he gave it that, I'm a senior manager. I'm an old manager. You're a young manager. You don't, you know, you don't get it. I know Arteta was very good afterwards. Really, I'll take it like that. He'll be in the dressing room. I'll guarantee you, right? He'll be just going, lads, that's brilliant. I'll, I'll do the public face and watch what you say. That's what I want. George Graham did the same thing. You know, the brawl at Old Trafford. The, you know, we got docked two points. They got docked one. I don't know why that. We must, because we won the fight probably. But <laughs> so because Anders Limpar was getting booted on the floor and all of our lads like piled in, obviously Rocky's piled in, Mickey Thomas piled in, blah, blah, blah. It was us going, you ain't bullying us at Old Trafford. I don't care who you think you are. Because if you saw one of your mates in a scrap on the street, you wouldn't run away. You'd go help your mate. So in the dressing room, um, George Graham's like, that's what, that's my team spirit. That's what I want. I want you getting in. No one, this southern soft, no one takes liberties out of us. He said, but unfortunately, lads, I'm going to have to cane you uh, outside and <laughs> you could get fined. And some of the lads find a week's wages, two weeks' wages. And George Graham was like, I can't condone this Arsenal Football Club. Don't take that very well and very lightly. In the dressing room, it's like, get in there, my son. No one flipping takes liberties with us. That's the way that it that. works. So moving on to uh, another subject, which I think uh, is uh, is topical. Arsenal have had a tendency over the last decade, maybe even into Arsene Wenger's tenure um, when things were going well, that when things start to go against us in a game, heads drop and we let football happen to us. Uh, this game, we had uh, two goals disallowed. Um, the rotational fouling was really ramping up and... Ben Foster was having an absolute worldie. Do you think we can read anything into um, the spirit of the team not to let events get on top of them and still come out with a win? Is this is this a progress of sorts? Yeah, you've, you've, you've still got to have that belief. You've still got to have uh, that faith in yourself and faith in your teammates. And I'd even go back to the Brighton game where Ben White was absolutely like, sorry, Ben White, um, Aaron Ramsdale was absolutely outstanding. We wouldn't have got anything out of that game a year ago. No chance. We'd have lost that game a year ago. And I looked at that and people go, oh, you're lucky to get away from that. And you think, no, do you know what? No, that's, that's, that's the sign of improvement for me. Because you ain't going to play free-flying, fantastic football. You might, you might do that five times a season, you know, where everything clicks. In a, the thing we've got to try, and we need, to be fair, we nearly did it when uh, Ben White and Aaron Rams had the little... Uh, sort of misunderstanding where Ramsdale comes out and, and be fair, Josh King should score, but we got away with it. They're the things you have to eradicate. They're the things you have to go right. We, I want to. When you're one new up, you always tend to sit a little bit deeper anyway. That's what happens. It's a natural. You see, all teams do it. It's a, it's a natural thing to hold on. But then we just got to get where we're a bit more calm and composed when it's in those situations. But you can just see the uh, as Arteta said himself. He can see, and I, I thought it was very poignant when he said, 
he can see a difference when the players come into training. Now, when you've won games, obviously the, the mood is a lot higher and everybody's happier anyway. But he's turned that round from three defeats on the bounce beginning of the season where everybody was low and would be like the Norwich game come probably at the right, the right time, then like the Burnley game. And then the first half hour against that mob up the road, which was like a scintillating like half hour. So he's, he's turned it around from the depths to like a, a gradual progression. The training comment really, it's like these players are buying into everything that I want them to do. This is now my team. This is now my identity. And he's, he's, he's actually saying these players, when we talk about character, the, these are my choice. These players now, there's no players here that I don't want here. And it's taken him to get here. Now, I'm not saying, let's be honest, if I hope with a bit of luck that may not I keep Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because he's nowhere near elite. He's nowhere. Long he's bit, taken. May it continue. Yeah. yeah. He's right. So if they keep him for a period of time, I think we've got every chance of uh, going for fourth place. 100%. Because I, I, Man United will like drop out, right? If they get a better manager in with the squad that Man United have, I think, I said beginning of the season, when I looked at us, I thought our uh, target this season would have been finishing above West Ham, finishing above Leicester. You know what I mean? Basically finishing fifth. That would have been a realistic target. And everybody's going, oh, when we're bottom, you know, the mind the gap from almost me, you think, no, give it gives, gives a chance. You're paping over the cracks. So now I'm looking at going, if May United can keep, you know, him, which would be great. Our realistic aims now are, are fourth, fifth, and obviously brilliant. Uh, we've got Sunderland at home in the League Cup. So touch wood without, you know, being too disrespectful. That's the, that's the tie that you would have wanted, let's be honest. Definitely. So, yeah, so semi's there. And then looking at it, and because we ain't playing midweek, then you can put a strong team out in the FA Cup. So it, I, I thought maybe top six, top seven with a good FA Cup run. Now I've looked the way that we've progressed. Say the fourth, if Man United are going to be in that sort of turmoil, the fourth is a is realistic if they don't change their manager. Because the other three are, are way beyond, you know, to be honest. So we're, we're just playing that little bit of catch up. I do wonder, though, you know, even if they do change the manager, you know, they bring in a, a Pochettino because he gets fired. You still don't have the players in in your system to deliver. You know, like Cristiano Ronaldo, a 36-year-old striker that can't press, is a problem. Uh, Pogba, uh, for, uh, Bruno not being able to press. That's a problem right. for, you know for any manager, right? The three players you mentioned there, right? They're pro- I know this is an Arsenal podcast, obviously, but their uh, problem is those three players are bigger than a manager or think they're bigger than the manager. Yeah. So it's not going to happen. They're not going to change. They're not going to change that psyche. May United have to bring in a Zidane. They, they've missed a trick. Conte going up the road ain't great for us. <laughs> I was yeah. like, oh no, they were, they were circus for a while. And then you go, right. They missed a trick because you need someone. Go- With Ronaldo, you can, you can indulge him because he will score you goals. Right. But then the other 10, Nine outfield players have to be workers. You can't then indulge Ronaldo. You can't indulge Paul Pogba. You can't indulge Fernandez. So there's three to be at that top level. And they're looking at managers. They don't believe in him. He's, he's not Oli Gunnar not elite. In a, no. he, if he gets a sack from Man United, he ain't getting another Premier League. There's not one Premier League club that take Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. No chance. Mm. So he doesn't coach. He doesn't coach. But thing is, you look at him, you think yeah, tactically he's not. He lightened the mood. He lightened the mood after Dark Cloud Mourinho. He got every play. And he made the team spirit better. 
he's at the same stage of Kevin Keegan was with England, where it's like, do you know what, lads? I'm out of my depth. And he should know he should know that. No, he should know that himself. I know you ain't gonna go and say, you know, if he's on 150 grand a week, don't worry, I'm walking away. But what you do is you go and say, Look, for the Goose Football Club, we'll have to come with a deal here because and he'll know that you'll know that deep inside. You know that deep inside that you're you're out of your depth. So um, but if they, uh, the thing is, I don't, I don't, you know, the way you framed it a little bit, Pete, I, you know, I understand there are manager, there are tactical issues with those players at the moment. And it seems like, obviously, it's a job too big for Ollie. But there's a number of managers who could get those guys playing well. And let's be clear, the sum of their parts is more than the sum of our parts. One of my biggest issues with Arteta previously was... You know, some of our players, they weren't, they didn't all become shit overnight. You know, they were just putting in really poor performances. And it's like, you're not getting the best out of the players that we have. I think the reason why people like me have started to come, more of us have started to come on board now, is that I think we are being more pragmatic with the way that we set up um, in a way where we can get the best out of the players that we do have. Last season, Aubameyang was, he was trash in terms of his performances. He was. And there was a number of reasons. Some of them Perry spoke about earlier. But part of it, it was the way that we were setting up as a team and the things that we were asking him to do. They didn't come naturally. And I said that if Arteta keeps refusing to play players in right situations or, or the right setups, then it would be better to get a new manager in. Because I think loads of managers could have got more out of them. What I have been encouraged by, and this will get us on to the next um, talking point, and Pete's got it up already because we worked so in June, uh, <laughs> is the tactical approach. And that is that what we have seen over recent weeks is a move to 4-4-2. We have seen um, new partnerships emerge. Now, I have been saying this for a long time, that this is one of the things that I think that based on the players that we had, this would have been the best situation to get the most out of the players that we currently have. And that is... You you um, might have said, Perry, earlier that you didn't necessarily see the thing with Lacazette. I've said for a long time, I think Lacazette has to play with the players that we have because Smith, Rowe and Saka always play better when Lacazette's there because he's the best link-up player. There's no question about it. Aubameyang just can't facilitate that role. But also, if we play with uh, just Lacazette, then Aubameyang is our main scoring threat. And if we remove Aubameyang out of the team, then it's even more pressure on Saka and Smith-Rowe to deliver the goals. What's happened now is finally, as far as I can see, Arteta's looked at the situation and said, play them both together, two there. We've got burgeoning talents in Saka, who's been doing it for a while, to be fair, but Smith-Rowe, who looks like he's ready to take on more responsibility in terms of um, end product, goals and assists. And you're starting to look at a structure that looks like it can be um, it can be reciprocated on uh, over a, no- a longer period in a number of different games, built around big partnerships that work better um, in a kind of, you know, uh, it, there's synergies that are forming here, which should be able to see us through longer stretches of success over the course of the season, where Lacazette feeds Aubameyang, but also Smith-Rowe and Saka balance each other out. Lekonga and Party look stronger in the middle, and that defence... Fullbacks look excellent, and the partnership that is burgeoning between um, Gabriel and Ben White looks like it's been like they've played together for years. When really it's been about six games. So that that four four two looks like it's absolutely the way forward. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Period. The thing is, with, with when I said about, I think it's more of a four four one one because Lacazette comes sure, sure. a little bit deeper, right? Or you can even go four two. Does in different bits of the game, it'd be four two three one. I didn't see Lacazette playing 
deeper. Do you know what I mean? That's why I think, to be fair to Arteta, which like hats off, because I was just saying, right, put Lacazette up the front, Bamiang on the left of a four-two-three-one, and the Yang then comes in and becomes like your two because they they do have a natural um, sort of bond and a link-up play. You know, some things, and they like you can tell even when Lacazette was the main. People forget Lacazette was the main man before yeah. Bamiang came in, and Lacazette adapted his game and he didn't sulk and he didn't go on a strop and they had a little period of time where they they did they were like linking up really well. So I just think. As long as uh, Arteta, sometimes when we play with a false nine, you know, sometimes trying to overthink it, you know, and just go, no, just go basic. Players just want basic information. So whether, as long as we keep, we, now, I'll be amazed if we ever go back to a back three. Now I think it would just be the back four, whatever the personnel is, you know, whoever comes in, they, they, when you play the back four, you know your roles. You know exactly. You can tell that they've done a lot of shadow play together, a lot of functional play. Then, Always have the two midfield players. Whether again, whether it's a four-two-three-one with you said Partey and uh, Lukonga, whether Mate Niles comes in, then with from that six, then you can maybe tweak the forward players this round. But if you've got that basic four-two, then you can go any little system around them because you've got that solid base behind you. So um, I think obviously going forward, like Partey and Lukonga, I think will be the best. Partnership in there, we have to say. Agreed. I thought mate, I thought Maitland Niles uh, against Watford. He he looked like he wants to play as a centre midfield player, so he's got to make sure every time that he plays that in Arteta's eyes, he's the next cab on the rank. He's yeah. the next one. If someone gets injured or ne- you know, or someone's lose a bit of form, where he's just going, I'm ready. I'm ready to take your place, sunshine. And that can only then be healthy. That's that's players are like again. Go back to George Graham. In the old days, in the 80s, it was always everybody played 4 4 2. There was a couple of teams that played three center halves, but most 4 4 2. We were very robotic. Everybody knew their jobs. Everybody knew what your job was if you played wide, left, wide, right, if you played up front, uh, if you had to close the fullbacks down, if you had to close the center halves down. And players, you want to take that, you want to be a little bit rogue. Where you don't want your robotic thought process is in the final third, where and again, I think sometimes we overpassed in the past. I think we, it, it was, I called it football by numbers a little bit. But if you look at us now, the rotation's far better. There's more freedom to move in the final third. But then when you're without the ball and you've got to go and win it back or you've got to go and set yourselves up, you shouldn't have to think. <laughs> I knew, when I played, I knew everywhere, I knew where the ball was or I should be it, without even thinking. And I think that's what you're seeing a little bit with us at the moment. Perry, there's a, there was quite an interesting conversation that we all had in the summer that was like, Arsenal's biggest problem is in attack. And we've gone out and we spent 156 million, mostly on defenders. It's quite interesting how much those defenders have opened up our options in attack and allow this system to thrive because we can't be pressed anymore. We've got four defenders that can all deliver into the final third. They can all play short. Like how do how do you think the defensive foundation is is helping our attacking game this season? I think it goes back to Aaron Ramsdale. I think it goes back to uh, having the confidence in your goalkeeper, and it makes you calm down a little bit. I think uh, as a character, I think Ben White is is very calm. He's he's uh, he's very comfortable on the ball. Then I like the way that their partnership is with with Gabriel. You know, Gabriel like probably goes to try and nick it and. 
be a bit more aggressive than Ben White does, but he can do that. Gabriel has improved on the ball. We mentioned Tomiyasu earlier. He's more of, he's not like a hit raking passes in, but he's very good at just like, the thing that I like about as well is I used to get frustrated um, when we used to try and play out from the back, but we went centre-half split, then it'd go left back, centre-half, centre-half, right back, right back, centre-half, centre-half, back to Leno, and we'd actually end up going backwards. And how many times can you remember that uh, Leno would have the ball deeper than his own six-yard box in the wide areas? You know, like, no, chaps, we got... I think with us now, we actually look to pierce it in quicker into midfield or into Lacazette and where I like I've always been a big fan of uh, Thomas Partey he hasn't got a uh, because of his injuries he hasn't got a run but if you look him his first thought is I'm gonna let it roll across me or I'm gonna even if you pass it forward 15 yards your momentum actually is going forward and then your back four can push up a little bit whereas before I think we used to go it was too managed we used to go sideways a little bit and even Lukonga likes going forward, whether he's travelling or passing. Mate and Niles did the same thing against Watford. So there's, it's all just these habits. It's all just a different, you know. And the other thing, just one thing, I know we've run out of time, but there's with Arteta, and I've always stuck by him, even, you know, because I could see what he was trying to do. I thought he overthought it a few times, and sometimes he tried to be too clever with his team selections. I just want him to sit down for a little, little bit sometimes. I just want him to, like, go and, if we're playing well for 10, 15 minutes, just go and sit down and just go and, you know, watch it sort of unfold. Because he's always in the, on the end of his technical area and he's always, always obviously demanding and shouting and screaming, which is great. But just, you know, when we're playing well for 10 minutes, just go, OK, I don't need to be, like, constantly at it. Because <laughs> if you're right back or right wing or left back or left wing, you're like, yeah, all right, Gaffer, yeah, all right, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you think, yeah, yeah, all right, I'll tell him. Like an you, yeah, and in, in in your head you're thinking, oh please, just just leave me alone for a while. Let me, <laughs> let me play. Just let me let go on with it. But it's all the 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 you're two massive gooners, chaps, right? Yeah. All I want to see, which I said, is there's a there is a bit of a central tightment with some fans. Like we're a massive club, we should always been in trophies. Our history from '86 to where we are now has been my two boys, Lewis is 31, Drew's 29. Massive gooners. My job as a father is to brainwash your children to make sure that they support the right team. Good so work. yeah, yeah. And that way very much. Thanks very much. Um, but I just want you, you don't have a, a right, you don't have a sense of entitlement to win trophies after trophies over trophies. Even when we've been particularly poor, we've still won FA Cups. <laughs> My two boys have seen their team win the FA Cup seven times. Drew's 29. <laughs> There's some some fans don't get to an FA Cup semi-final. Do you know what I mean? But all I want to see is. My team uh, be organised, be structured, be disciplined, but play with fight and play with heart and play with desire. I'll go with the technical, you know, sometimes or if you're making, because we've got young teams, if you're going to make a mistake. When you make a mistake, track back. When you make a mistake, go and try and win the ball down. That's what I'm seeing with this team at the minute. I'm seeing this team that they actually, they, they get, and trust me, it's a privilege to play for Arsenal Football Club, right? It's a privilege. The shirt is our great players, right? Thierry Henry, like going back to Liam Brady, going back to Piro. We adore them and they get the adulation at the time. When they've gone, your new hero is the one who takes their shirt. It's the shirt that makes you famous. 
the shirt makes you famous. Whatever, you know, that, that's why I look at it. I'm looking at this team now thinking, yeah, when you're putting your shirt on, I'll do the tours and it's all been revamped in the home team dressing room. looks like a mate. It's like a health spa, basically. It's amazing. When you go in there and you see your shirt hanging up and you've got your name on the back, you should just have a little step back for 30 seconds or a minute and just go, this ain't bad. I'm, I'm playing for Arsenal. I'm playing for one of the biggest clubs in the world. And that's transmit that onto the pitch. And it's going to go up and down. You're going to, you know, have bad days. As long as you have a bad day in there and you've got more good days, great. But I just want to see my team running around. That's, I want to see my team giving it everything. And that's what I'm seeing at the minute. What a wonderful little note and message to end on, Perry. That was, um, yeah, that, that's how, how I think most of us feel. Exactly. We don't we don't demand that we win trophies every year, but we demand effort and pride and passion. Perry, you have performed with all of those things on this pod. What a sensational guest. Um, Magnificent. It's been a pleasure. It's been, a, been a beautiful pod. All of all of the people who are in the chat room are going crazy for you. You've been called <laughs> one of the greatest pundits in this cut the country's ever seen. Uh, <laughs> That's funny. And they uh, and they've also suggested that Pete rename Legrove to Perry Legrove as well. So uh, it's in the works. It's yeah, in the it's works. In the work. um, thank you again so much for coming on. Um, obviously, people can catch you not only on this podcast, but you're on TalkSport all the time as well. Are you on any social media? You might. No, no. I, I, I don't want to read what people think about me, to be honest. I don't, I don't, I don't. If they want to tell me in the street, yeah, if they want to tell me in the street they think I'm a whatever, then we can have a conversation. But I don't want to, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to be reading it. Cool. <laughs> and, and when everyone jumps in, George Graham will be patting them on the back. Well done, your back, Perry up. Love it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Venga Kid says love you, Perry, as well. They're all going crazy for you, Perry. Thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure. And thanks for everyone jo- for, for joining in as well. Pete, do you want to wrap up on that? Yeah, uh, thank you for joining us. That was absolutely fascinating. Elite punditry. We knew we were going to get that from you because we hear your stuff on Talk Sport. If you're listening, give us a five-star review. Say something nice about Perry, even though he's probably not going to read it. And on that note, uh, ciao for now. <laughs> we'll catch up with you next week. Thank you, Perry. <laughs> Hi, I'm comedian Johnny Cochran. Now, last year, my life was turned upside down when I became a first-time dad. Yeah, and I'm sitting there thinking, "Mm, this is a little bit crazy right now. How am I going to get through all of the challenges in front of me? One of the things I thought I'd do was set up a podcast talking to other fathers about their experiences. Fathers like Russell Kane. No no one's man is trying to suggest that what a man does is 1% of the ravages of a female's body being overtaken by its alien host. And Carl Donnelly. This is the admin bit where I'm sort of, you know, obsessing about prams and stuff like that. Oh, you've got to get a good set of wheels. I bought a vintage uh, 1960s Marmet pram. Which is so inconvenient, and it's never. We're only. It, it can't go any further than like the local park. And Doc Brown. We're here is complaining about money and how expensive it is to have kids and whatnot. They're like, well, you shouldn't have had us. <laughs> it's like it's your fault, and it's like, I mean, I turn around and it costs me three hundred quid. <laughs> kids are so expensive. So you can listen to those guys and more in the How's Your Father podcast. Get it wherever you get your podcasts. Peacock streaming the biggest sporting events, exclusive originals, and the latest movies. This February, we've got Super Bowl 56, the 2022 Winter Olympics, and the Peacock original Bel Air. Plus the new movie, Marry Me, in theaters and streaming Valentine's Day. Sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.